this week I was in Orange County for a conference, and uh, my folks live in Orange County, and so it was great. I was able to crash with them, uh, see them every night when I wasn't at the meetings, and uh, I got to take my dad out for a late Father's Day dinner early in the week. You know, I haven't been able to spend a lot of Father's Days with my dad for the last few years, and so it was just a fantastic time. We had a great time talking about life and kids and ministry. He was in ministry for a long time until he retired a few years ago. Um, talking about marriage. And what was amazing to me was that my dad said, marriage is still getting better every single year. My, my mom and my dad have been married for 54 years. And my dad said, it's still getting better all the time. That's just amazing. I'm, I'm hoping that my marriage will continue getting better over time. Because the first few years of my marriage were rough, okay? Cindy will agree with me. We were arguing all the time my first few years of marriage over dumb things. It's always the dumb things, right? So like Cindy would get mad whenever I would leave my wet towel on the bed. I don't know if any of you deal with that in your marriage. She's like, babe, it's literally three steps from the bed to the bathroom. And then she liked to twist the knife. Are you too weak to take it from the bed to the bathroom? She, she, she's ruthless like that. But, but we would bicker about dumb stuff. Like I would get mad whenever Cindy would try and sneak healthy food into dinner. I don't know if any of you deal with this. I would be eating dinner, and, and I'd be like, babe, I, I think the, the ground meat in the spaghetti is bad. Uh, is there something wrong? She's like, no, no, I, I bought it today. It's all good. I'm like, but, but it tastes kind of funny. Is, is there something bad about it. She's like, all right, fine. It's turkey meat. Are you happy now? She was, you know, because I have, I have a gift of ruining really nice moments. <laughs> That's my gift in life. And, and we would just argue over the dumbest stuff. One thing that we would both argue about is whenever we found an empty toilet paper tube on the toilet paper roll. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. That would frustrate me so much. And I was actually talking to a friend about it. It was a friend who was studying to be a counselor at that time. And I won't tell you his name, but his initials are Brian Lim. So, you know, you might, you might know Uncle Brian. But uh, I was talking to him, and I was complaining about the last time I found an empty toilet paper tube and how it happens all the time. And he just looks at me. He's like, Matt, is it really that hard for you to be the one to change the toilet paper when you find the empty toilet paper roll? Instead of complaining to your wife, maybe you could serve your wife. And then he's good at twisting the knife too. He's like, isn't that what Jesus would do? Pastor Matt, that's how, that's how he rolls. But he was exactly right. We deal with conflict all the time. So how are we going to deal with it? What are you going to do when you find that empty toilet paper tube on the toilet paper roll? How are you going to respond? What are you going to do when your roommate eats all of your Malona bars again, just like they did the month before. How are you going to respond? How are you going to deal with it when your Christian brother who you hired to paint your house does a terrible job and then wants to charge you to fix it? What are you going to do? How are you going to respond when the Christian sister that you went into business with flakes out and leaves you holding the bag? How are you going to respond to that? Well, if you're like most Americans, you'll sue. That's how we deal with it in our country. I was reading some statistics this week, and the United States has 4% of the people in the world 
Do you know how many of the lawyers we have in the world? 70%. We got 4% of the people, 70% of the lawyers. That's true facts right there. And Christians, we are creatures of our culture, and so we sue almost as much as non-Christians. The difference is, is, is not that much. Family, we are the Corinthians. That's who we are. If you got your Bible, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. 1 Corinthians 6. And we're going to see that the Corinthians were just as sue happy as we are. The Christians in Corinth were suing each other left and right, which makes it kind of awkward if you're in the same community group. You know, what do you do at prayer time? Who do you pray for? That, that's a little weird, but here's the thing. Conflict, it's guaranteed whenever a bunch of sinners like us come together. It's guaranteed. Look at what James said in James chapter 4. He said, what is the source of wars and fights among you? He's assuming there's going to be wars and fights. What's the source? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? So here's what James is assuming. There will be some kind of conflict in your life. If you're a sinner, and that's all of us, and you're living alongside a bunch of other sinners, then there's going to be misunderstandings. There's going to be shortcomings. There's going to be people dealing with pride and arrogance and bitterness and selfishness. There's going to be people with control issues. There's going to be people with anxiety issues. And all of that might just be you. If there's relationship happening, James 4 says there will be wars and fights among you. If there's not, you're not in a real relationship. Either you're talking about the weather all the time, or there's one person who's just kind of letting the other person have their way all the time, just avoiding conflict at all costs. The Bible is really clear. If it's a real relationship, there will be blood. But the Bible is also clear that God can use conflict to reveal our character, and God can use conflict to refine our character. Because here's the reality. Why are there wars and fights among you? The reason isn't just the people around you. Yeah, that might be part of it. You might think it's your husband or your wife. You might think it's your loudmouth friend. You might think it's the Christian who offended you or failed you. It's not. Not completely. What causes wars and fights isn't what's around you. James says it's what's within you. What's within you? It's your passions that wage war within you. On both sides of the conflict. So we can take the initiative to work on our side of the conflict. We can work to redeem that conflict for God's glory. Because there will be conflict. The only question is, how are we going to deal with it? Are we going to allow it to separate us? Or will we redeem it so it strengthens us? Let's pray. Then we'll dig into God's word. Father, we know that there's conflict everywhere. Everywhere we look. We've seen the headlines on the other side of the world this weekend. Even in the last 48 hours, we've seen conflicts rise and fall. And Lord, it, it might seem like things are different here. But when we look at our lives, our relationships, our families, our friendships, we've got the same kind of conflicts, just expressed differently. So Lord, show us how those conflicts can not just be overcome, but redeemed used for your good and our good, used for your plan to be accomplished here on this earth. Thank you for the way that Jesus 
overcame the conflict between us and you through his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. Help us to live like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're in 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to start in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 6. Verse 1 says this, If any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Okay, so let me point something out really quick, really important here. What we're talking about here is trivial cases. That's what Paul just said. Trivial cases, not criminal cases. If it's a criminal case, call the cops. Romans 13 says that God's authorities, or, or that human authorities are God's ministers for our good. Romans 13 says the authorities do not bear the sword in vain. They're put in place by God. So if you're dealing with physical abuse, sexual abuse, if you're dealing with embezzlement, if you're dealing with, I don't know, grand theft auto, I don't know what your community group leader has done to you, whatever you're dealing with, if it's a crime, call the proper authorities. If it's personal conflict, call your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because most of the time there's conflict between believers, it's trivial. It's a trivial case, so you don't need to clog up the courts trying to resolve this disagreement that you have. I mean, Judge Judy might enjoy listening to you bicker with your brother, but nobody else does. Paul said, don't bring trivial cases before the unrighteous. The unrighteous. And here's the thing. He's not using that word, the unrighteous, like some blanket term to describe everybody out there, all those unrighteous people. No. The civil courts in his day were really unrighteous. The Roman Empire, they had really strong laws, but really corrupt courts, particularly in civil cases. And so judges and juries expected to get paid off by both sides. And whoever could afford to pay the most money in a case would get better justice. And so you would only sue someone in that day if you were richer than them and you are pretty sure you could bribe the judge and jury more than they did to make sure that you won the case. That's what the Christians in Corinth were doing to each other. Crazy. They were using their privilege to manipulate the system and destroy the less privileged brothers and sisters in Christ. And even worse than that, the church in Corinth wasn't doing anything about it. Nothing. It's going on all over the place. They're doing nothing. Last week, we heard Paul talk about how they were failing to judge brothers and sisters who were caught in scandalous sin. This week, we're hearing him condemn their failure to judge between conflicting brothers and sisters, caught in interpersonal conflict. And Paul's saying, that makes no sense. You guys wouldn't get involved in that. He says, don't you know that the saints, that's all of you, we're not talking about St. Peter, St. Augustine, no, the saints are us. Don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Yeah, after Jesus comes back, you're going to judge the world with him. You're going to deal with some difficult cases someday. When judgment day comes and you rule with Christ and judge with Christ, you're going to deal with some really difficult cases. So you might as well get some reps in right now and start judging some trivial cases. And this right here. 
this is how we can use conflict to strengthen us rather than separate us. This is how you can redeem conflict in your house, with your friends, in your church. Number one, remember your family. Remember the family that God has given you. Remember that you got brothers and sisters who can help you resolve the conflict. Brothers and sisters who've been commissioned by Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be judges. And not just judges over trivial cases. Judges over eternal cases. As crazy as that sounds. Look what Paul says in verse 3. Don't you know that we will judge angels? Oh, just let that little fact swim around in your soul. You're going to judge angels and demons one day. Don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have such matters, do you appoint as your judges those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there's not one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between fellow believers? So let's say you loaned your car to somebody. Let them drive it for a week. They needed it for something. When you got it back, the taillight was busted and there was a huge dent in the bumper. You didn't get mad about it, but you got to get it fixed to pass safety inspection in a couple months. And you're looking at a couple grand for the body shop to fix all that damage in order to pass the safety check. Your brother says, oh, I'll pay for it. No problem. But now it's been... Eight months since you got it repaired, it's been a year since it happened, and you still haven't seen a dime. You, you've been texting him every month or two, trying to be really gracious. Hey, bro, uh, any chance you could give me that money? And every time, he's like, oh, yeah, 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 it's coming. I just got to transfer the funds to a different account, because that's the account that's, that's linked to Venmo. You know, I got to get you the Venmo, so got to work on that. You'll get it, but you still haven't seen it. So what do you do? What do you do? Paul says you call someone in the church who can mediate between you. Some mature believer, somebody in your community group, the community group leader, a ministry leader, somebody who you can both trust to be biblical and wise about it. Paul's going, hey, can it be that there's not one wise person among you who's able to arbitrate between fellow believers? I say this to your shame. And that right there, that's really striking. Because last week, when they were dealing with believers who were caught in scandalous sin, he said, oh, I, I don't mean to shame you. I don't mean to shame you. This week, now that he's talking to believers who are caught in serious conflict, he says, no, I'm trying to shame you here. That's my goal here. Those of you who are demanding justice from each other, you should be ashamed. And the rest of you who aren't doing anything about it, you should be ashamed because we're dealing with family here. You're supposed to be family. And you're allowing this family to be destroyed. You don't trust anybody in the family to bring justice. You, you think the corrupt judges in Corinth are more wise than your brothers and sisters in Christ? They'll get you more than your brothers and sisters in Christ could? Man, your family is going to judge angels. Your family's going to judge angels. Don't you think they can help you out with your broken taillight? I think so. 
This is how conflict can strengthen us instead of separate us. This is how you redeem conflict. Remember your family. And then number two, remember your mission. Remember your mission. Remember you got a mission to the world around you. And you got a limited amount of time to display Christ. You got a limited amount of opportunities to proclaim Christ. And when you go to court and sue your brothers and sisters, you're wasting at least one of those opportunities. Right? You go before the judge. The judge is like, okay, what's your complaint? You say, well, this guy broke my taillight and he refuses to pay for it. Judge is like, okay, so you, you loaned him your car? You're like, yes, Your Honor. Okay, how do you know this guy? Well, we're on the prayer team, Your Honor. We're on the prayer team together. The judge is like, wait, prayer team, like at church? Yes, Your Honor. It's like, well, isn't prayer time a little uncomfortable <laughs> with the two of you suing each other? Yes, Your Honor, it is. That's the kind of conversation that Paul is envisioning here. Look what he says in verse 6. Brother goes to court against brother, and that before unbelievers, as it is to have legal disputes against one another, is already a defeat for you. In other words, yeah, I know you're looking for a victory in court, but you've already suffered defeat just by going to court. By demanding justice, you've already been defeated because you're airing your family's dirty laundry out for the whole world to see. And guess what? The world agrees with that. The world agrees with that. A few decades ago, the chief justice of the Supreme Court actually complained about Christians taking each other to court. He was complaining about it. William Berger said, the courts have been expected to fill the void that families and neighborhoods and churches once filled. We've got lawyers in this church who would say amen to that. Our justice system wishes Families would act like families, and churches would act like churches. And we destroy our witness to the world when we don't. We destroy it. I mean, the night before Jesus was crucified, he gave his disciples one command. One job. You got one job, family. What is it? He said in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. That's your one job. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. The best way for the world to see the love of Jesus is to see the love of his people for each other. And so sometimes, family, sometimes that means sacrificing and suffering at the hands of each other. Sometimes that's what's required. Look at what Paul says at the end of verse 7. End of verse 7. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do this to brothers and sisters. Why not rather be cheated? This week, I was trying to think of something like more counterintuitive than that question. I couldn't think of anything else in his letters. Like, why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be cheated, Paul? Well, here's why. Because that goes against every aspect of what's right and fair in the world. That's why. Why not rather be cheated? Because 
How can I just give up my rights, Paul, just let people get away with stuff? How can I give up on justice, Paul, and just let people get away with things? How can I give up on that? Well, Paul says, sometimes we got to give up the things that we think we deserve because that's exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. He gave, gave up everything that he deserved so that we could have what we never deserved. Jesus gave up his rights to overcome the conflict between you and a holy, righteous, just God. And so what Paul is saying is, now you can give up your rights. You can give up your rights to overcome the conflict that you might have with a brother or sister in Christ. And Paul says, that's how you win the conflict. That's how you win in whatever fight you're in. You suffer defeat when you demand justice but you experience victory when you willingly suffer wrong from your brother or sister in Christ. Because you're giving a living picture of the gospel to the watching world. Family, we can endure being wronged by others because Christ endured being wronged by us. We can absorb the consequences of other people's sin because Christ absorbed the consequences of our sin. He was cheated. Christ was cheated on the cross out of what he deserved so that he could give us what we would never deserve. And so you can be a living picture of that. A living picture to your kids, to your friends, to your family, to your coworkers. Family, you can show them something radically different from anything they've seen in the world, right? Everybody in the world is angry about something right now. Isn't that true? Everybody in the world is a victim of something right now. And so when we're always fighting for our rights, we're not any different from the world. There's no difference. You'd be like, okay, but what about righteous anger? There is such a thing as righteous anger, right? Absolutely, there is when you get angry about someone else being victimized, that's righteous anger. Anger is the proper response when you see others suffering injustice. But let's be honest. That's not what usually makes you angry, right? That's not why you get angry. You get angry because someone wronged you, offended you, failed you, disrespected you. That's when you get angry. And then your anger is ah, almost never self-righteous, almost never righteous. It's self-righteous because it's all wrapped up in self-centeredness and, and selfishness. And so Paul says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Why not give up your right to justice and trust God to carry out justice? That's what he says in verse 9. Look at what he says in verse 9. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. They're going to face justice one way or another. And so here's one more way that you can redeem conflict. Remember your family, remember your mission, and then number three, 
remember your vindicator. Remember that there is one who will carry out justice on your behalf. Remember that every sin, every offense will be punished one way or another. And so you can endure injustice because you know that God will be the one who carries out justice for you. The punishment for other people's sin against you was either laid on Jesus if they're redeemed, or it will be laid on them for eternity if they're not. And so here, Paul's calling out those people. He's calling out the Christians who sin against other Christians. And he's saying, if this is a habit for you, if this is something that regularly happens, you might want to ask yourself if you really are a Christian. You might want to ask yourself that. I mean, he says, don't be deceived. Because it's really easy for us to be deceived by the world, by ourselves, by the enemy. It's easy for us to be deceived. Maybe you raised your hand in church a while ago because there was a pastor like me who told you that if you put your faith in Jesus, then he'll save you from God's wrath. And you were like, oh, I don't know what wrath is all about, but it doesn't sound fun. So yeah, I'll raise my hand. I'll ask Jesus into my heart. And then when you, you went home, and you pretty much kept on living just the way you always have. And now that's bubbled into conflict with other believers. Guess what? That might be God's gift to you. That conflict might be God's gift to you. It might be his way of waking you up and helping you see that you've been deceived. Because the striking thing about this list of sins that Paul's given us here is that he's listing sins that we know are really serious right next to sins that we don't think are quite so serious, right? I mean, everybody knows that adultery is wrong. Everybody in the world knows that. But Paul's putting that in a list right next to sins like greed and, and slander. And for most of us, let's be honest, those seem like, like junior varsity sins, right? Not, not that serious. Well, Paul's saying they are equally as serious. And if you're really saved, then over time, you're going to be less greedy, less idolatrous, less lustful. You're going to change, is what he's saying. Over time, you're going to change. And so if you're a Christian and you haven't really changed, then Paul is asking you to ask yourself, am I really a Christian? Am I really a Christian? You might believe in Jesus, obey Jesus in some ways, but you haven't surrendered to Jesus. And so Paul says, you won't inherit God's kingdom. You're going to inherit his wrath. Maybe you say, well, isn't love going to win? Won't God just send everybody to heaven? Why wouldn't he do that? He, he's loving. Why wouldn't God save everybody? Here's why. Because not everybody would actually like it in heaven. There's some people who wouldn't like it there. If you've been holding Jesus at an arm's length for 80 or 90 years of life, then do you really think you'll enjoy an eternity with Jesus all up in your grill 24-7? That doesn't sound fun to me if I've been trying to hold Jesus away from me. And so if you've been spending your life trying to do things on your own, God says, okay, I'll, I'll let you do that for all eternity. I'll let you live on your own, 
apart from me, apart from my grace, apart from my blessing. That's what you have to look forward to on one side. But on the other side, the other option is that you can choose right now to depend on Jesus for everything. You can choose to depend on him to be the savior of your soul and the king of your life. Depend on him. Because that's the story of every authentic Christian. Look at what Paul says in verse 11. Verse 11. Some of you used to be like this. Used to be like this. Okay, like what? Well, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive, swindlers. That's what we used to be like before Jesus. Some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Yeah, all of us were slaves to sin, but we were freed by Jesus. And so here's one last way to redeem conflict. Remember your past. Remember your past and remember what Jesus delivered you from. Because we were all dirty and defiled, but Paul says Jesus washed us. He took away our filth. We were all conformed to the world, but Jesus sanctified us. He plucked us up and set us apart from the world. We were all guilty and condemned, but Jesus justified us. He made us righteous in the eyes of God when he took away our sin and gave us his righteousness in exchange. Family, Jesus forgave you, and so now you can forgive the people around you. You're empowered to do that. I don't care what kind of conflict you're in right now. An active war or a cold war in your family, in your workplace, with a brother or sister here in the church, with one of your friends. I don't care what kind of conflict you're in right now. You got two choices. Only two choices. You can pursue retribution or you can pursue reconciliation. That's the only two options you got. You can make other people pay, blame them, ignore them, gossip about them. You can make other people pay for their sin, or you can volunteer to pay for their sin. You you can choose to absorb their sin, love them, forgive them, bless them. Those are the only two options you got. You can make them pay, or you can volunteer yourself to pay. And you can choose this option because you've got the unlimited resources of God. You're rich. We heard Paul say that a few weeks ago. Everything is yours. The world is yours. Life is yours. Death is yours. The present is yours. The future is yours. Man, you own everything. You own everything. And so you can afford to pay for a few things. You can afford to pay for your brother or sister's sin. You can afford that. You can afford to absorb your friend's sin. You've got the resources to do that. So family, it is time to start loving instead of demanding. And then it's time for the rest of us to start judging and mediating rather than ignoring and abdicating. It's time for us to reclaim our role as judges in a gospel-saturated courtroom. It's time for us to take sin seriously and handle it graciously. To address the wrongs that we see and do something about them, 
Handle it with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. All for the fame of Jesus in the watching world. Because here's the thing. Conflict is guaranteed when a bunch of sinners like us come together. The only question is how we're going to handle it. Is it going to separate us or is it going to strengthen us? Let's pray together. Father, we're all dealing with conflict in family, in friendships, at work, in the church. It might be an active, vicious conflict. It might be a cold and dormant conflict. It might be a suppressed conflict because some person, maybe the other person, has just been letting us get our way for too long, avoiding conflict at all costs. Lord, help us to see the conflict that we're dealing with right now and help us to sense your empowerment to deal with it graciously and lovingly. Empower us to absorb our friends, our brothers and sisters' sin and the consequences of their sin because that's exactly what Jesus did for us through his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. Thank you for Jesus. The peace that we have with you because of him. Help us to be peacemakers just like him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.